Hi, welcome back to Lawn Student News, a show that gives students a behind-the-scenes peek at the career paths of professional journalists and the stories they tell. I'm Victoria Fong, and today's guest is Liz Lando, a senior communications specialist at NASA and freelance journalist. She's written four publications, including Wired, Smithsonian Magazine, Scientific American, and New American. Hi, Liz. Thanks for joining us. Hey, great to be here. So in high school, you participated in Harvard Summer School, where you published editorial cartoons in the Harvard Crimson and a personal essay in the Harvard Summer Review. What was that experience like? Yeah, it was really amazing. I'm so fortunate to have had this opportunity when I was uh, 17 years old, uh, the summer before senior year. I did a summer program at Harvard where I took a creative nonfiction writing class. And I had never even heard of creative nonfiction before, um, but it's essentially the idea of writing in a true way, you know, about true events, but in a really sort of engaging narrative style. So I was really exposed to that from a young age, uh, which was really awesome. And I also, while I was there, was like, you know, if I'm at the Harvard campus, like, I want to write for the Harvard Crimson. And I basically just like went to their office. And this was 2001. I had a cell phone that was like, huge it was like this giant brick cell phone and like but it was the first phone i'd ever gotten so i was like okay like if, as long as i have a phone like i can be a journalist right and so like i talked to the people at the crimson and they weren't so keen on a high school student writing for the crimson at that time but i was like oh well you know like what i like to do in my spare time is like draw little cartoons and stuff so they actually let me draw a few cartoons to illustrate some of the articles that were in the paper. Um, so yeah, it was really amazing to be at the Harvard campus to take classes and, and learn about the art of uh, storytelling from a very young age. Mm -hmm. Before you got involved in the summer program, were you already interested in like creative writing and journalism? Or like, was it something you discovered at like the summer school? Yeah, I honestly, as for as long as I can remember, just I loved writing. Um, when my brother was born and I was five years old, I basically wrote him a little newspaper to tell him like what was happening in the world that he had missed uh, before he was born, you know. And uh, I, I just like would always be doing these little like writing projects, art projects just for fun. And um, I think it was probably in high school where I got more serious about writing, especially like writing fiction, um, you know, diary writing, all these kinds of things. And, uh, but I have to say, it, really, it wasn't really until college that I realized like, oh, like, this is actually a career that I could choose. Like, it, I used to think about writing as something that people do as a hobby, but, but it is really possible to turn this into a great career. Um, so you kind of mentioned this in the previous question, but later in Princeton University, you were the editor-in-chief of the Student Science Magazine Innovation. Has becoming a science journalist always been a career goal? Yeah, before I came to Princeton, I hadn't really thought about combining my interests in science and journalism, but I took this incredible class when I was a freshman. It was called Life on Mars, or maybe not, with Mike Lemonick and Ed Turner. Um, Ed Turner is a uh, astrophysicist at Princeton and Mike Lemonick was the senior science correspondent for Time Magazine 
And it was this incredible course in which we really talked about the mechanics of writing about science, what makes a good article for the public about scientific discoveries. And we actually even got to go and visit Time Magazine in New York City and meet with the science editor. And I was totally in awe. I was like, wow, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I want to work at a place like Time Magazine. I want to tell the exciting stories about science. Um, I had always loved space and science from a young age. I loved going to science museums in Philadelphia where I grew up. Um, but I always thought that like you can either be a scientist or you can be a journalist. And it wasn't until college that I was like, oh, like there's such a thing as a science journalist. Definitely. So how did you get started um, in the journalism industry? Yeah, so after Princeton, I went to Columbia Graduate School for Journalism. And um, through that program, I actually got a couple of internships that were very influential for me. Um, the first one was at CNN in uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And I got to work at CNN.com and uh, work with producers of the website to uh, make interactive graphics. And I would help them to write photo captions and headlines and, and do research and things like that. Um, and then I also got an internship after that back in New York at Dow Jones Newswires, where I was writing about the price of oil every day. And that convinced me that I definitely never want to cover the markets again. Like, I totally respect people who do this. And actually, there are so many job opportunities in business journalism. It, it's a very lucrative area, but it's not my passion. Like, I realized, like, you know, what I really want to be doing is writing about the world, writing about science and, and health and medicine and culture and any, anything else. <laughs> so uh, I was really lucky. I then uh, I had a brief stint at a legal newswire and then I got hired permanently at CNN back in Atlanta. Um, and then I got promoted to become a, a science and health journalist there. Um, so that's where I, I really grew as a journalist at CNN. Mm -hmm. I think like freelancing is an incredible way to be able to tell the stories you want. Um, so like what inspired you to start freelancing back in 2014? Yeah, great question. Um, so in 2014, I actually moved from Atlanta to Los Angeles and I took a job at the NASA Jet Propulsion Laboratory where I was in the public affairs office, um, which was a really amazing experience. But working for a government agency or a university is very different from uh, working at a news organization. And I really missed uh, the kind of writing that I used to do at CNN. Um, and I checked with our sort of ethics policies and everything. And I sort of found a way that I was able to uh, start a freelancing career on the side, basically as long as I didn't write about anything regarding NASA or anything that would be a conflict of interest. Um, I could basically pitch my own stories to like whatever outlets I wanted. And it was difficult like starting, I, I know that I didn't start from total square one because I already had my whole portfolio from CNN mm -hmm. behind me, but I didn't realize how difficult it would be to like f uh, forge relationships with new editors who, especially cause they didn't live in LA. Like most of the people I was trying to pitch stories to were in New York, even in London. Um, it, it wasn't really difficult, but I, I really decided to keep at it. And over the years, I've really cultivated 
relationships with some fantastic editors at different um, publications like the ones that you mentioned and uh and yeah like i i feel so lucky that i get to have a day job that i really enjoy uh, which it keeps me financially stable so that for my freelance life i'm only doing the stories that i am very passionate about Mm -hmm. Definitely. So like a lot of the publications like I mentioned, um, such as like Scientific American Discover and Vice Motherboard, you've written for multiple times and like are a regular contributor. Do you mind sharing how you got started like writing for those publications? Yeah, I mean, honestly, some of it was like I, I used to go to and you know to some before COVID like I used to go to a lot of conferences and um, they were science conferences or writing conferences and conferences are such an important thing for you if you're starting out because that's where you will meet people in person who you'll be writing for someday whether it's uh, you know very soon or possibly far in the future, like it's super important to make personal connections with people in the industry. And I didn't realize how important that was until like I was like pitching like a lot of, and I would be, you know, trying to like shop around ideas for stories. And like, I realized that like, oh, like, you know, these people that I met at conferences, like, like they are really my best contacts. Like they will read my emails. And they'll take a chance on me, even if I've never written for them before. Um, it's more likely that they would if they've met me in person. Um, so that's definitely like advice that I always give people is to like try to get out there and, and go to conferences. Yeah, having um, connection out there is really useful. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and then like, honestly, social media has been really important for my career in a way that I never imagined. Um, I also like I really advise uh, you know writers who are starting out to follow the writers and editors that they really like on Twitter and also to try to join Facebook groups uh, in the kind of writing that they're most interested in. Um, I've found out about a lot of opportunities just through Twitter and Facebook honestly. Uh, the reason I wrote for Vice Motherboard that one time was because of Facebook. Um, so yeah, there, there are actually a lot of really good opportunities out there if you're following the right people on social media. So um, what advice would you give to aspiring journalists, especially those from underrepresented backgrounds, hoping to write for similar publications? Absolutely. Yeah, so first of all, um, you know, getting out there and networking as much as possible. Um, obviously with COVID, it's a little bit harder because you can't be in the same room with people at a conference. But on the other hand, it could be easier in some respects because conferences that would be very expensive to attend are either not as expensive, they're either free or like you don't have to pay to travel to them. So like there are in some sense more opportunities in that respect. Um, and again, like identifying on Twitter and Facebook um, people that would be good to know uh, is super important. And I mean, I think that there's an intimidation factor that some people have that they're like, oh, like I could never write for this publication, so I would never even try. Like you have to like take those uh, thoughts out of your head. You have to like just surpass them because like if you don't try to pitch certain publications like obviously you'll never get published in them and like like believe me like I've been rejected from 
so many places. Like I've been rejected by so many editors, even at the places that I've written for, I've just like continued to pitch, right? So even if you're rejected on two different ideas, like maybe the third idea will work out. Like I've definitely learned and I try to tell younger people this, that, you know, like, yes, you might have like a really great idea for a story, but like maybe you just haven't found the editor who thinks that it's a good story. And sometimes, you know, maybe even if you think that it's a really good story, like you might have to just like put it on the back burner if you don't have enough sort of research behind it or enough of a angle that would be appealing to some of these publications. And like, just like the willingness to be flexible on that front and like, you know, have multiple ideas, have multiple stories that you're pitching. And like, honestly, like I've kind of had to like not be attached to, to any like single idea because like sometimes like it, it will take a while and like you just mm-hmm. kind of have to keep at it. Absolutely. That's great advice. Like you also um, mentioned previously in the interview around the same time you started freelancing, you became a press officer for technologies at NASA JPL, then later a senior storyteller and public affairs officer. This February, you started your new position as a senior communication specialist. Could you share how you got started working for NASA back in 2014 and now at your current position? Sure. So I was at CNN until 2014. And uh, after six years, like I loved it, but I was kind of looking for something different. And I just happened to see a job posting at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory. And I was like, oh, like I've been there. Like I know that they launch Mars rovers and things like that. Like that sounds super cool. Um, I really didn't think I was gonna get this job. Um, I just, and I didn't even try to like network or like, you know, follow up or anything. I just, I filled out the application and I didn't think about it. And then amazingly they contacted me and, and interviewed me and it all worked out like really fast. Um, so yeah, so then I went to JPL and I just learned a ton about engineering and about planetary science, exoplanets, and like all the science areas that NASA covers. Um, it was really an amazing opportunity to like be among some of like the great minds of these fields, you know, who are really leading the charge in exploring the solar system and beyond. Um, but for my own personal development, I realized that like I love writing and editing, but I also wanted to do uh, other areas of media. So actually, I've gotten more into podcasting and video in recent years. And um, in my new position, which is at a con- um, I'm a contractor at NASA headquarters in Washington. And I, uh, in addition to doing um, public affairs duties, such as um, you know interacting with journalists and uh, writing press releases and editing press releases. Um, I also uh, produce a podcast called Gravity Assist, and I produce a video series called Easy Science. Um, so it's really been a great way for me to like not only learn new skills in terms of my knowledge about space and science, but also knowledge about like how to produce um, different kinds of media. Wow, you must be super busy every day. Every what day is, is different. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what does your typical work day look like? Yeah, even though we're all working from home, like I'm still having a very rich work life right now. Um, you know, I have very consistent meetings in the morning uh, with different teams that I work with to kind of see like what's going on um, with everybody. And then, uh, you know, I'm either working on a podcast or a video 
Um, I'm also editing different articles for a NASA website or, um, you know, doing some communication strategy for different um, projects. Um, my main one right now actually is the James Webb Space Telescope, uh, which is this amazing astrophysics telescope that uh, is going to be launching next fall. And it's going to, you know, look to the first galaxies of the universe and uh, look at the atmospheres of planets beyond our solar system. Um, so it's been really fun to meet with that team very consistently to talk about um, the kinds of communication stuff that we're going to do um, closer to launch. How do you manage to balance your day job with freelancing? Yeah, good question. Um, yeah, sometimes it could be a lot. Um, uh, when things are very intense at my uh, NASA contractor job, I don't do a lot of freelancing. Um, actually, in the last few weeks, you know, we were getting ready for the Mars Perseverance rover launch, uh, and that was a very intense activity, and so I didn't do a lot of um, work on my freelancing side at that time. Um, but now that that's over, you know, I'm going to start pitching some new stories. Um, I try to, you know, give myself like a few nights off, honestly, but, you know, if I'm working on a freelance story, like it can occupy a lot of time. Um, like I, I recently wrote a story for Wired Magazine's website and um, because it was a fairly quick turnaround, like, I mean, I feel like I, I spent like at least like four or five nights on it, like after work, after my NASA job and then um, also weekends. Um, so yeah, it, it can be fairly intense, um, but, but it definitely pays off. Yeah, you've written a lot of science pieces over the years from um, in 2011 when you co-founded the CNN blog Light Years to recent features like you mentioned in Wired and Smithsonian Magazine. So like, what are some of the favorite articles you've written and why? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, I love all my stories, right? <laughs> They're all your babies. <laughs> all my babies, yeah. Um, let's see, I mean, some things that come to mind. Uh, one of my favorite projects for NASA is called The Life and Death of a Planetary System, and it's the seven-part multimedia experience where you go from the birth of a star to how the planets form around the young star and how the planets move around and like what's going to happen to our sun when it dies and uh you know how the planets will actually like move away from where they are right now uh, once the sun dies um, so that was super interesting like i learned so much from that um but i also for my freelancing life like if i have the opportunity to go in person and talk to people and like report on a scene like i really enjoy that um so i did something last year for Smithsonian where um, I had found out that there was a telescope that was once um, built by George Ellery Hale, who was a very famous solar physicist um, in Pasadena where I was living. And he, so he was responsible for the biggest telescopes in the world at that time, the, the Mount Wilson Observatory and then the Palomar Observatory but he had a private observatory just in the neighborhood in Pasadena, like a 10 minute walk from where I was living. And it was just owned by this couple that had bought it and was restoring it. And wow. so, I got, yeah, so I got to go and visit with them and like this incredible, like, you know, old library with like his books and the typewriter and everything that and they, they kept it that way. And like to go up to their little telescope dome 
and with somebody from Mount Wilson and um, and see how they were restoring it and everything. That 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 was really cool. Could you share with us any details about the stories you're currently working on, or like the podcast or like video series you're doing? Yeah, sure. Um, let's see. So, uh, so the Gravity Assist podcast for NASA stars our chief scientist Jim Green, and this season is all about the search for life beyond Earth. And like, I'm really loving this season. Like, we've already done, I think, like 12 or 13 episodes, but like, there's so much more to say about that topic, right? Like. Like, where will we find life beyond Earth? And how did life start on Earth? Like, it's such a, these are huge questions. And like every week, like I learned something new about, you know, possible planets that could host life or, um, you know, extreme environments on Earth, like at the bottom of the ocean, where against all odds, we can find uh, life. So that's been super cool. Um, and then in my freelancing life, um, I have something coming out uh, involving cell biology, which is something that is so new to me. Like, I, I knew so little going into this, like, and I coming out, I'm, I'm like, I still know nothing, but it's like 3000 <laughs> words. And I'm like, <laughs> um, yeah, so like, I, I love like doing topics that I don't know a lot about, because then, you know, you just ask a lot of questions, and, and you know, you try to educate yourself about it. And um, you know, these are like, the, you know, the building blocks of life of us, right? Like, like, how did we get here? What is actually going on in our bodies at the microscopic or submicroscopic level? Like, I think is so fascinating. So, yeah. As someone who's taking AP Bio this upcoming school year, I'm definitely interested in um, reading the article. Make sure to send it to me. Oh, awesome. Yeah, will do. Could you share um, some, like, components of really strong science writing? Yeah, so I mean, really strong science writing, if it uses any technical terms, like terms that people might not know, like it, it defines them really well. Um, it doesn't use a lot of acronyms. Um, when numbers are introduced, they're introduced with a lot of context. Um, and I will say, like, I feel like I've grown a lot as a writer. And if I go back to things that I wrote 10 years ago, I'm sure I would be embarrassed but like you know when you're starting out like you think you really want to impress people and you want to put in as many numbers as possible as many facts as possible and like to grow as a writer is to really uh let go of that mentality and to think about like like how can i just kind of like feed the reader like one bite at a time I can't remember who, somebody said this recently I, I, unfortunately I don't remember but um yeah she was saying like don't don't like throw a plate of food at somebody's face. You have to just like feed them one bite at a time, right? And it's, it's this art of picking out those individual bits of information and like stringing them together in this narrative as opposed to just like throwing all the information up front. So, yeah. mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, you primarily focus on science writing, but you have also written pop culture features like publica for publications like Marie Claire. What's your process for thinking of story ideas like while freelancing? And does this slightly differ for more science-focused articles and like more pop culture-focused articles? Yeah, I mean, I guess like right now I'm sort of just like, because, you know, I, it is my free time and I've been trying to like only focus on things that are interesting to me. Like, I feel like if I'm gonna do like a more pop culture story, it's because like I'm so interested in whatever 
it is. Um, with the science stuff, like, I mean, I'm also super interested, but it's like, I, I feel like the bar is a little bit higher for me with sort of more like cultural stuff, just because like there's, I don't want to say it's easier to write about, but there's so many people writing about culture that like, I, I just feel like the bar is higher to even pitch a story like that. So yeah, like, I feel like if I'm, if I'm pitching something like that, like I'll do a lot more research and forethought into it as a, in, in the science realm, I feel like the research that I would do is like, is much more like technical. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so like, why do you think student journalism matters? Yeah, student journalism is so important because without it, like, I feel like a lot of people, you know, get lost along the way. Like, you know, they have this dream of becoming a journalist, but you know, if they don't have a lot of support, then they'll go to a different path, like, which is fine, but you know, we need great journalists. Like we are living through a time where, you know, all that we have is journalism to, to guide us to know like what is real and what is not. There's a lot of um, false information out there. Um, so, you know, I mean, for the sake of our society, like we, we really need truth tellers. And I would think that, um, you know, especially people who are, you know, teenagers and like contemplating journalism, like they should absolutely like, you know, try it, like go after it, see what it's like to, to write like that, you know, to, to find topics that are super interesting to you. Um, because like you do have things to say that are important and you know if, if you believe in what you're doing you should absolutely go after it that's great um so like where do you see the future of journalism headed yeah i mean i love not only doing journalism but consuming it like you know there's so many amazing writers out there and so many amazing publications out there and like, I'm just hoping that they can sustain themselves. Like, you know, it's a very difficult time, especially for smaller outlets right now. I think I'm most fearful for local journalism because there's not a lot of money in that. Um, you know, some publications that are much larger have been bought by very wealthy people who have been able to sustain them. But on the sort of local journalism side, um, you know, we, we do see um, publications that no longer exist. And you know, I, I'm hopeful that as a society, we come to value news more. Um, obviously with the internet, with um, advertising, moving away from newspapers and into the online realm, you know, it has been a very difficult time. Um, I'm hopeful that, you know, again, people will start to value uh, local news again and, and subscribe to local newspapers, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, I mean, I think it's such an exciting time to be a journalist, especially to be a student journalist, honestly, because like every day is different right now, right? Like in some sense, every day is the same because we're like quarantined, but <laughs> like there's a sense in which like things are also changing very fast and it's such a pivotal moment in our country like we are like literally living history and i think it's amazing for young people to get out there and be part of that story and, and find the stories 
that they want to tell during this historic moment. You know, like you wonder like 50 years from now, like what will we remember about this time? And if you're producing journalism right now, even student journalism, like, like this is part of the record of this, you know, unprecedented era. So yeah, I, I really hope that people get out there and do it. And, uh, you know, I, I always love talking to aspiring journalists. So if anybody wants to talk to me, like feel free to reach out. Absolutely. That's really good advice. Thank you so much for your time, Liz. always if you're a student teacher administrator looking to bring lawn student news to your middle or high school please contact us if you're a student or professional journalist looking to volunteer we'd love your help for both inquiries fill out the contact form on lawnstudentnews.org you can find me on twitter at by victoria phone and instagram at victoria phone liz where can people find you yeah um, you can find me at liz landau l-a-n-d-a-u uh, on Twitter. That's probably the best way to get in touch with me.